Welcome to Smart Water Solutions Podcast. I am Hakim El Fadil. This is episode number 33. And today's guest is Peter Crystal. He's the founder and president of Sweltex company. This company develops a new hydrodynamic filtration process for existing tubular membrane. And actually their innovation is best suited for challenging applications like produce water, dairy wastewater, water and pond water treatments. Um, we are going to details their concept. It's very simple. It's very interesting. It's also very challenging. And not only this concept that Peter has developed in his garage and now in a startup company, there are so many universities across the globe that they, they, they study this concept and they publish so many articles about it. And also um, big member players, they try to adopt this concept for their member filtration. Peter, your technology is kind of different, or I would say it's kind of unique. Um, so using your technology, which kind of applications, um, you are able to access with this, um, Sweltech technology? Yeah, it, it's different just because our filtration technique that we're using is so different. Um, it's opened up a lot of opportunities in, in, in places where we didn't think there'd be a use for the filtration technique before, like you know, blood plasma filtration, you know, uh, solvent extraction, things like that, that weren't on my mind when I first thought of the technology. But as time has gone on, it's really kind of opened the doors just outside of the typical water and wastewater applications that you have with a tubular membrane. Yes. So you said solvent? Solvent extraction. Extraction so, like benzene, toluene, etc. You You got it. So for heavy metal extraction, Mm -hmm. um, usually you put a, a solvent in with your other kind of liquid slurry and mm -hmm. you, you'll kind of mix that up and that solvent will go from being on top to being on the bottom layer. Uh, so it, it's kind of funny that we, we always coin our, our filtration technique called buoyancy based, uh, membrane filtration mm -hmm. and the ability to, um, to separate that liquid and extract one, one part of that liquid based upon its buoyancy um, has a lot of other applications than just reducing fouling, reducing the energy side of it too. And in the mining industry and using techniques like solvent extraction, I think are, are gonna be a, a big part of Sproul Texas future. That's definitely the point. I mean, I guess your point. I know that's, that's not too, many players in the solvent industry when it comes to non-filtration? No, not as much as all, because yeah. it, it's a very smaller market, but um, sometimes it's finding those niche applications that nobody else has done before or nobody else can do with typical products that really uh, help elevate companies. So there's applications from everything from, from nuclear to biofarm industry we're finding. Yeah. yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, in the past, voice of customer for that applications, and then, as far as I know, um, there is a market for it. I mean, also pharma industry, and then oil and gas also they have produced water as well. And yes. then, if I, if I'm not mistaken, there is also big opportunity for for um, a solvent water mixture. The huge stream where you have water and contaminated with one, one up to yeah, 20, 30 percent solvents. Yeah, uh, right now, our main business focus for Swirl Text is 
um, a lot of water reuse options and our produced water plays that we have here in North America. Uh, during business and COVID, it was, especially as a startup, was very difficult. And it still is very difficult. So now that things are opening up again, we're, we're trying to expand our horizons and uh, really do some of the other kind of applications that traditionally tubular membranes haven't been used for. Yep. I mean, before jumping to swell text, uh, no Peter, you have really, I mean, interesting uh, profile. I mean, um, I think, uh, yeah, I would say, my first guest who has this kind of uh, background but i remember when i was working in the in the past in previous company i had some colleagues who really um they were in our business in water business but they have completely different background like in military or in psychology and something like that but you also it's it's different and recently i had i mean it's funny recently i had one one ceo um who developed a water, a water startup company and his background is in history. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it, it's funny for me because this is, I, this is all I've ever done. Like I, I yeah. didn't have a, a proper job before this. I joined the military when I was really young. I was like 17, still in high school when uh, I joined the military. And to be honest, I didn't really know what I was signing up for at, at the time. So when I got shipped off for school and stuff like that, um, it, it was interesting. I, I found it very, very interesting. I automatically fell in love with it. Um, there wasn't a lot of us in our role in the military. So we got a lot of experience traveling all around Canada. Um, after I, I left the military, uh, I worked for a company called Sanatherm where I just did operational commissioning and troubleshooting. So I, I didn't get to see a plant that actually worked for a good three years of my life and i just traveled around and i was lucky enough to do some really key jobs i got to work at a job that was really transformational just for me personally and my career uh it was the wastewater treatment plant in pangertung uh none of it where i got to spend a lot of time in a small inuit hamlet and really kind of started to become an expert in uh arctic operations from that and from that job i i did a lot of jobs in gold mine traveled all around the world, everywhere that you can get frostbite. I've pretty much been. Um, Morocco, have you been? <laughs> I haven't been to Morocco. It's not, I haven't been in the warm place, unfortunately. Um, so things things went pretty well. And I, I started a company, um, you know, a couple of years after working for Sanatherm, which is called Chima Water and Wastewater, um, to help a lot of the military guys find work in remote camp industry or some of the water water and fuel environmental engineers from the military uh, give them a home after they retired and that went really good and I ended up going to Antarctica in 2007 I believe um, the first time uh, for the U.S. Antarctic program where I got to go down to the South Pole and McMurdo stations got to do an engineering report for the South Pole that uh because I was 27, people weren't too impressed with at the time. Where they're like, "What is this young guy doing here?" Um, and I made I made a lot of uh, I made a lot of assumptions for uh, Antarctic engineering of what can be done, what can't be done because of the elevation. So uh, after I sold my company, uh, you know, I I worked for Chimo for a bit, and then I transitioned for a long time after that to a job with Aurelis, uh, Aurelis North America, where I was the managing 
managing director, developing the ceramic membrane business here in North America. Um, I did that. I enjoyed that for a while. And then, you know, I had to make a transition into just consulting where I had a good life. I mowed my lawn too many times and uh, was getting too good at shooting zombies and video games. And I just, it, it really kind of bugged me uh, in my previous job where the oil water separation aspect to ceramic membranes, uh, just because I was selling ceramic membranes at the time, it just bothered me that it, I just felt that it really didn't work that well. And there had to be a better way of doing it. Um, so like a crazy person, uh, I started playing around with membranes in my garage uh, and not focusing on what the membranes were, were made out of, but really the hydraulics of the membranes, how membranes work and how to make them more efficient. And that's really where Swirltex came from. So you mean you focus on the hydraulic, you didn't focus on what is the chemistry of the membrane or is it polymeric or ceramic membrane? At, at first it was, I, I was just using ceramic membranes and then I transitioned over to, to polymeric membranes as soon as I realized that um, there's applications in, in wastewater for this quite a bit too. At first I was just looking at oil water separation, um, but uh, when we kind of discovered that we can uh, mimic and or manipulate the buoyancy of the contaminants using air in line with the membrane, uh, reducing, reducing the amount of volume of water that we need and really enhancing the flux by uh, making sure that when we spin that water in the membrane, the solids that have that bubble attachment to them end up going to the center of the membrane just because that centrifugal force. So it was really good when it came to oil water separation, uh, but we found that it really does well on some of the finer solids that tend to cake and really foul membranes as well. Okay. That's, that's I mean, uh, let's hold for this point because it's, it's very oh, yeah. interesting to break it down. And then if I go a little bit back, a couple of seconds, which are, I mean, a couple of years you have done in your expertise, so you have been in gold mine and also you have been working in oil and gas. So I'm, I'm sure, I mean, my experience, whenever you are in the big water plant, you sit there, you try I mean, to talk with operators, you spend time, if you design it, you build it. If you spend more time, you get so many ideas how to make things better. So have you had this experience when you have been working in gold mine and in oil and gas? Yeah, definitely on the oil and gas side where um, because because I was always the guy on the ground kind of, you know, with crap on my face and, you know, pulling apart a pump and re really seeing everything that kind of goes wrong. Um, it, it makes you kind of think outside the box and challenge, you know, the things that you're kind of told, Oh, this is the way that it is. This is the way that it is. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what really helped me really try to do something different with uh, this real text product. So there is really, uh, I would say, um, so many opportunities in oil and gas to treat the water. And maybe also, if I understood correctly, also there's a um, big opportunity to recover or um, let's say um, solvent like BTX, for instance, in produced water. So a huge amount of money is wasted every day, as far as I know. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, what we can do with oil water separation and, and different aspects of produced water, especially since this water has a really high salt content, mm-hmm. like 220,000 TDS. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting what we can do, not just for um, oil water separation, but also how the different types of shear of force or direct cross-flow filtration really helps keeping some of the, the the calcified kind of fouling off the face of the membrane as well. So we, I, I didn't expect this to do just as well as we did in the produced water because it was known as a really difficult uh, industry, mm-hmm. but the normal produced water that we got was, wasn't very difficult. Um, and we did extremely, in my mind anyways, compared to like some wastewater jobs that I'm used to. And we did extremely well in produced water. So there's a lot of buzz right now of, you know, is is this gonna be the, the bullet for produced water? The thing is each site and each area has different water geographically. So it's it's very interesting. It's very promising what we're doing in Canada. And hopefully we look to, to move down to the States here eventually as well. Okay, which means that produce water quality changes from could be also from middle east to us to canada is different yes yes very much so so each general area has different uh chemistry um which really affects how we treat it um so we we always treat it in line with the membrane so we can separate all the oil water aspects out so it's it's very interesting to kind of plan out that pre-treatment and plan out uh, how your membrane's interacting with that pretreatment. Because we're a tubular membrane and we have that concentrate stream, mm-hmm. uh, our concentrate stream is a little bit different because it has a gas in it, right? So that concentrate stream needs to go back to your, your treatment portion, right? So the solids can be removed, but that water that we return, uh, this, the solids will float. It's pretty much daft or has that flotation effect on it. So it's 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 very interesting to plan out using you know new new types of treatment packages uh, that incorporate um, that aspect of our membrane trains. Yes, I will definitely come to this point to break it really down. I mean, because I'm really interested to start from produce water till the product that you are covering from the system. But before that, I mean, swell takes. What is the the meaning behind the name, and then how? this ID, I mean, developed so far till yet? Well, I I was going to call it like Vormem or something like that at the very beginning. Vormem. And then we we <laughs> thought of, of Swirltex. It was like Swirltex and Vortex com- combined. And I drafted up something for a, a logo and it, it turned out it turned out really well. Uh, we're, we're lucky for a company that hasn't been around that long to have, you know, such a brand uh already um and you know I've, i'm glad that we're called swirl text and not vormem or something awful like that now that i think about it yeah and and um, let's say the core of your business is that um the membrane that is developed for um to treat applications like produce water am i wrong Correct, right? So right now we do a lot of, um, in wastewater, we're doing a lot of water reuse application jobs, just because we have external membranes uh, 
and they're not submerged. So it makes it a little bit easier or a lot easier for doing things like retrofits, et cetera. Usually you can't retrofit with a tubular membrane because they it just takes so much energy. It's just not efficient enough. But now that we've we've really cut the energy that a normal tubular membrane uses by you know 70% in some applications, uh, it's really opened up a lot of doors where we're competing against the traditional, you know, submerged hollow fiber membranes and you know the submerged plate membranes. Um, in, in especially in the markets where the the clients don't want these extra tanks or to submerge a membrane in the tank and have the craneage above it, there's a lot of advantages to having external membranes, and uh, we definitely solve the power aspect of it. Okay, if if I mean, let's say in in the abstract level, if we compare tubular hollow fiber spiral bond. So um, I know it depends on application to applications, which one makes sense, but for your applications, what do you see the value of picking one of one of those um, technologies? I, I, th I think for me, for picking a technology for, for different applications, for us, I think the biggest differential is, you know, the fouling rates, the flux, the power, and the being able to have access to the membranes. Usually your tubular membranes are like three to four meters long or sometimes two meters long. And even having to remove that membrane is, is a bit of a workout and it, it's very difficult. Um, because we're using one meter membrane lengths, it becomes a, a lot easier and it, it really changes the maintenance aspect of it too. So for me, compared to uh, a submerged membrane where you don't have access to the membrane, you can't really inspect it. Um, if something goes wrong with it, it's really hard to take out your systems offline. So for us using a one meter membrane, if somebody, the worst stuff, say somebody dumps just straight oil down the drain or something, clogs the membrane up. Worst case scenario, you just take that membrane out, put it in your cleaning station, put a new one in. And it's that maintenance aspect of it that really uh, has made the difference for us comparing to a traditional submerged hollow fiber or a submerged plate membrane as well. We've, we've coupled our, uh, our membranes with, you know, reverse osmosis systems on the back of it for extremely high quality water as well. And that seems to be that the, the main uh, technology that we're, we're going to be coupling with uh, on the the end of our technology okay and then i'm right now i'm going to the produce water and then you can explain the swell text so peter it would be great if you explain someone who really was in the field not someone who's read in the books so can you explain yeah. to us exactly what produce water means and what swell text is doing for the produce water so produce water is the water that comes out of the ground uh, after they drill the well. So it's not like they're getting straight, uh, you know, oil out of the ground. It, it's definitely a mixture. Mm -hmm. So all that water or all that product is sent to a plant where it's separated out. A lot of that water can be reused to pump back down a hole on another drilling site. So it's very important for them that they remove as much oil as possible and uh, uh, things like bacteria 
and other um, bicarbonates that can scale going down when that water goes back down, it's important to remove as, min, as much of that as possible. Um, in normal operation, produced water can be very steady and you can kind of plan out your uh, you know, chemistry for it. Um, but there's also times when you get flow back where they drill a hole and you get that first flush of chemical and all the water coming back. And that is usually by far the hardest to treat. Um, and this is, those situations are the situations that usually kind of wipe out your plant and wipe out your chemistry. And this is really where Swirltex has excelled, not just in uh, the normal, the normal operations for produced water, but during upset conditions as well. Okay. And then correct me if I'm wrong. Also, the way how I understand it is, um, uh, it's it's most of the time they inject water with chemicals in mm -hmm. the, in the well, and then you get. Let's say, if roughly speaking, every well you get 10,000 cubic meters or something like that, roughly. And then you have a mixture between salts, chemicals that they have injected, and also BTX. Benzene, yes. Okay. Sometimes the, the volumes are easily as high as uh, uh, 100,000 cubic meters in, mm -hmm. in just one drill uh, for the flowback water that you get back. So the volumes of water that are used on these wells is, is massive. That's why it's really important for the industry to try to reuse as much of the water as possible. Um, and there's economic sense to reusing that water too, not just for, uh, you know, hauling purposes, but when you have that water close to near the rest of your drilling pads, it really saves uh, companies a lot of money as well. And then in Sweltex, you are offering only a tubular membrane, which do exactly. Yeah, because our technology uh, is pretty unique, we can only use tubular membranes, right? We can, I can only use a, a round membrane. Um, so we can use a ceramic membrane. We can use a polyp membrane. We have uh, several different manufacturers that will make membranes specifically to our specs that we need uh, to be able to couple our technology with them. Um, but mostly right now we are using straight uh, polymeric membranes. And this polymeric membrane is, uh, I mean, it's well known or something, I mean, the, the, the chemistry of the polymer. Yeah, it, it's just uh, a straight P, PVDF membrane. PVDF. Uh, so we, we have just, there's nothing special about the chemistry of our membranes. So what we've done um, for our process is what really it's kind of been different. And uh, what first started off with just making a centripetal flow or a vortex flow within the membrane has really developed into um, a two-phase flow where we've changed the hydraulics of the membranes, we've changed the, the, you know, the pressure loss across the membranes, et cetera, really done things that, uh, haven't been done before, especially at a commercial stage. Um, so for everybody who's not really familiar with what Swirltex does, I can just give the best explanation I can to exactly how this works. Yeah, so in, in a tubular membrane, right, when you're pumping liquid through that tubular membrane, if you're not pumping enough liquid through it to create a turbulent flow, you end up getting a very laminar flow where all your energy is in the middle of that circle, right? So it's really hard to keep a shear force on the inside of that membrane wall. 
So what we do is when we have that incoming wastewater coming in, we mix that with air at a high rate. Then that mixture moves through the membranes where we have our technology that starts to create that centrifugal flow within the membrane. So what happens is the air and water, as soon as it starts to spin, the air and water separate or the elements within that membrane start to separate where the air is in the center of the membrane and the water is spiraling around that central air column. So what this does is it does some amazing things. First thing, we cut our, we cut our uh, water volume that we needed to pump drastically because instead of uh, water in the membranes, we have more than 50% air in the membranes. Um, what this does is it really concentrates that water volume and velocity directly at the surface of the membrane. So the normal uh, concerns that you have uh, about polarization and your cake layer buildup because it's not getting enough velocity are gone. So the, the new technique for that spiral action or cross flow directly against the base of your membrane, not, not parallel to it, is called direct cross-flow filtration. Um, different companies have started to use that. Pentair has their helix where they create uh, turbulence right behind their, their uh, turbulence promoters in their membrane to start to do it. And there's vortex membranes from South Korea that have really started to move on it. But now that there's been several universities that have looked at kind of what we're doing and have published papers on it, where they have easily seen, you know, the 100 to 200% increase in flux and, you know, the reduction in fouling, um, it just hasn't been commercialized at the same stage that we have. But the neatest thing about this particular configuration for this membrane is when we add that air uh, ahead of the membrane, it does two things. One, it's for volume. Right. So instead of having to uh, pump, you know, mass amounts of water to get the turbulent flow in the membranes, now we're just adding air to the process to put that through. Now, normally, if you add pressurized air in a tubular membrane, it's really not good because if if that air touches the membrane, the air just goes through the membrane. Um, but because we're spinning that water, right, the air doesn't get a chance to touch the membrane because it operates in what's called an annular flow. So air in the center and then water spinning around it. And the second thing that happens cool from adding air like that in front of the membrane is um, you manipulate the buoyancy of your solids. So if you have a finer solid like a clay or a, a graphite or a, a really fine colloidal solid, when the air attaches to it, it becomes a froth. And when it becomes a, a froth like that, it will go to the center of the membrane and avoid the membrane as much as possible. For different applications like activated sludge, when you get good bubble attachment, you get the solids gravitating towards the center. The other aspect of this, when you're adding the air, you create surface tension around your flock. So even if that flock goes directly towards the surface of the membrane, it has a lot harder time caking that membrane or fouling that membrane because it can't stick to that membrane because of the surface tension from the air around that flock. So adding air to our process, which usually you can't do in tubular membranes, had a lot of uh, positive sides, not just for uh, 
the hydraulics of the membrane, but for the treatment process as well. That's a very interesting. And I think, I mean, for me also the first time that I learn about this concept and it makes sense. So you, you kind of, if the way I understand it, you said to yourself, okay, let's don't focus on the chemistry of the membrane, but let's just focus on the physics of the process. How I can play with the hydrodynamic to get most out of this tubular membrane. And then, yes, yeah, yeah. And then I'm sure that's within, let's say, the the journey to develop this technology in your garage, let's for for instance. So what are the let's say uh, the challenges or the bottleneck that you faced to get this kind of performance? Because for me, it's more than 100% flex increase. It means that you can run system with, yes, it's with half OPEX and CAPEX, I would say. Yeah, it, 100% increase in flex is uh, <laughs> yeah. actually pretty low. Uh, okay. So if if you look at some of the papers on, you know, the turbulence permit promoters in uh, tubular membranes, um, in some of the research where they didn't add the air, they were getting, you know, a 500% increase um, in flux. They were also running at a lot higher velocity that we were, but we we constantly have over a 100% increase in flux quite easily. From not changing the membrane, changing how it works, using less water, using different mediums, and really concentrating on the, the basic fact the thing that affects your flux the most is the quality of water interacting with your membrane. And by manipulating what quality of water interacts with your membrane, you see the difference almost right away. Um, that on top of, you know, really, really having that, you know, direct velocity on the, your face of the membrane really makes a difference in the overall package. Um, it was, it was kind of funny because, uh, when when we first started to try to develop this in the garage, I think my biggest hurdle was uh, my girlfriend yelling at me at the time because I, uh, you know, she she she'd go horse riding and then I would have to dig up my like membrane skid from underneath my fishing gear and then start you know running fake activated sludge, which was pretty much cat food, um, you know, ground up cat food. Uh, you know, through the membrane and everything just used to stink to high hell. And my poor neighbors, I, I'll apologize to them sooner or later. Uh, you know, it would it would be just silly. I'd a hose would break or something, and there'd be black sludge spraying all over me. And I'd run out of the garage and just puke. And then the the ooze would be going down the driveway, and my poor neighbor would just be sitting there watering his lawn with his hose. <laughs> And then, you know, the whole neighborhood's like, oh, what's that smell? And then he's spraying me down with the hose just like it's normal and just crazy Peter doing his thing. Um, it, it was hard doing this in a garage uh, on limit. Like, I, I didn't expect to do something that could eventually kind of change the way we look at, at tubular membranes. I was just looking to solve the problem of oil water separation and how it affected ceramics. Because I had a technical background in, in membranes, it's usually not done in somebody's garage. It's done in a university or a lab. Um, 
and it, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, it was hard to kind of get that third party data or the data that everybody's kind of looking for doing it at that scale in my garage. Uh, and that was probably the the hardest thing for me. I could get I could get data sets and stuff like that. But when you're doing it in a university or lab, people just think it's more accredited. And I don't blame them. If I, I showed somebody my data and I had a you know 140 increase, 100 percent increase in in flux in the early days, you know, using you know 75 percent less water, uh, I tell the person they're crazy, like go away, sort of thing. Um, but I, I was also kind of lucky that when I explain the technology to people, they get it. It just makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Compared to a lot of other water technologies where um, you have a hard time kind of looking at it and seeing exactly if that makes sense or not. When I explain my technology to, to really technical people, they always go, they always swear or something like that. Or <laughs> say, why didn't I think of that? Or... Uh, Usually, when I think of that or congratulations, that's a that's a good one, uh, which makes me think I wasn't a crazy person when I, I, you know, did this. So it's always good. It's always good to to get that uh, that feedback from people in the industry as well. Yeah. I mean, to me, when you explain to me the way how I see it right now, it's it actually the first time I'm seeing I'm looking to treating the water from different angle, which is most of the time when we talk about water has dissolved organic and inorganic solute. And then we need to fight against inorganic and organic farming. We need to have very good fish spacer, high turbulence, etc. But we never think about, and also we think about the membrane, uh, um, anti-fouling membranes, the chemistry of it. But I never think about how can I make sure that all those things didn't get close to the membrane by improving the hydrodynamic in different way, not only high cross flow, I mean high delta but maybe introduce the air or any gas, as you said, and try to get those things away from the membrane, circulate them until you get them outside of the, 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 the membrane element. Yeah, it's because we did a couple of things it's it's a new way of thinking trying to get outside the element but what we did on the hydraulics that thin layer of water at a high velocity right at the face of the membranes has really made a difference for fouling as well mm -hmm. um, so it's a combination of doing so many different things um, that has really kind of set us apart in the industry it's kind of funny because uh, like when you go to the Weftex and, you know, the, the big water shows and you kind of look at what everybody's doing, the membrane industry really hasn't changed that much in the last 20 years. Like yep. it, it's, it's been very kind of the same. And one of the reasons why, you know, we've got so much attention is because people understand we've, we've done things extremely differently. It's usually it's usually a, a small change. It's not a major change like this that has drastic effects on the way the membrane operates. Yeah. So to use your technology, what is the minimum infrastructures equipment needed to be in place um, to adopt, let's say, Sweltex solution? Usually just the feed tank to the membranes. Mm -hmm. We've really operated our systems on like very, very... Uh, very little infrastructure. 
So one, one of our main markets is operating on wastewater lagoons. That in, in our industry, that's like the basic, the most sec basic technology that you can get. And they're all over the place here in Canada and all over the place in North America and anywhere where you have a big open space or a lot of area, usually small towns or industries will go to a wastewater lagoon. Um, because we have these external membranes and they're so low energy and we add air to our process, all we need is that pond and we can suck that water off our pond, take the clean water off and then our concentrate, which is saturated with oxygen, goes back into the lagoon and helps with treatment. So we can operate on just a wastewater pond, the simplest aspect of it, and, and still do things that um, normal membranes can do. In that situation, like if the pond has an algae bloom, algae is really fantastic for us just because it floats so easily. Um, and you can, in, when you run it through a clear tube, you can actually see the separation happen. Um, so in, in wastewater lagoons, when they have algae blooms and other aspects to it, it really doesn't affect our, our systems that a normal membrane would. So all we kind of need or infrastructure that we need for our system is just the very basics, uh, a place to suck the water from and then return our concentrate to. Is there any case study that you already, I mean, um, let's say build a system with Swiltex and you already see kind of reduction of OPEX, CAPEX of that system? Very much so. So we've done, we've tried, we're really trying to do a replacement job on a, a tubular membrane, like a, a typical tubular membrane, just so we can say, okay, this is what a normal tubular membrane does. And then this is what Swiltex does. The issue that we're having is um, because our systems are so different, um, it's, it's hard to kind of do it side by side in comparison. We can do it in the lab and it's easy to show in the lab with you know six membranes in a row quite easily, but to run a side by side in a field so we can write a data from it, we just haven't had the opportunity to do it. We do have a paper coming up with IWC. Um, I believe, let me just check when that is when we are presenting on our produced water data and some of our other data from um, dairy industry and uh, other applications where we've seen high nutrient removal um, just from the membrane alone, which is a bit of a new process as well. Is it a process or so, wastewater? What we're doing is we're doing something very differently on the wastewater side of things as well. So we're we're taking wastewater, we're completely saturating as you would a DAF, but we're doing it under pressure, right? So when you do that under pressure, say 45 PSI, and you're doing that, when you spin that in the membrane, right, even the dissolved gases start to come out, right? So that has an effect on volatiles within the system. So if we have a lot of volatiles that we can burn off or convert to a gas through the membrane, we've been getting extremely good results at different um, pHs, we'll say, um, through things we've never seen before. Uh, usually with a membrane, you're, you're not looking, you're just looking at your TSS and, and different aspects. 
But the more and more we're operating in our membranes, we're seeing what conditions we can get nutrient removal like ammonia and other volatiles out of the system as well. And then I would assume later on you need to separate them from the air, huh? no? For sure. Okay. So our concentrate stream, right? So when we have those volatiles react uh, at the beginning of our membrane and say everything's still kept in a gas because the, the water is saturated with, with air at this point. When that concentrate stream is released to atmosphere or vented off, um, a lot of the gases that uh, went from say 45 PSI to you know atmospheric conditions um, vent off uh, fairly quickly. You see it sometimes with DAF operations um, that are, are a lot lower pressures, uh, but we're, we're definitely seeing what the membrane can actually take out as far as gas transfer as well. Okay. And I mean, you right now you have, uh, you are focused only on PVDF chemistry. And um, as far as I know, there is, for example, Berghoff company in Germany, they have, I mean, decades of experience in tubular membrane. They have so many chemistry developers for different applications. Does it make sense for you if you say, okay, if I'm tackling this, if I'm focusing on this application, I can use my concept plus different chemistry instead of using PVDF? Yeah, so for different applications, for um, high temperature applications above 80 degrees, we'll, we'll use a ceramic, no mm -hmm. problem. For other configurations for uh, solvent extraction, et cetera, it's ceramic. So PVDF is, is good for what we're using it for now, for produced water, for, for water use. When it comes to the specialty applications, we use tubular ceramics. Okay. But we do, like we, we, we work with Burkhoff, we, we work with companies Pentair, Mimos, Kaimi. We, we've, uh, you know, used or tested all their membranes. Uh, and we, we find uh, there are differences between manufacturers, um, but it's, it's all been relatively uh, fairly close. Uh, and we, we haven't, we haven't, gone into different chemistries of the membranes, just because the, the, the membranes that we've been using so far have been extremely effective. Yeah. And is your concept, I mean, Peter, is protected or anyone in the world can copy it and use Berghoff membrane and then bingo, bring the product to the market? Yeah. Our, we, we do have two patents mm -hmm. for, for our technology and we can't... Um, there's certain membrane configurations that we can't use. Like there's certain membranes that we, tubular membranes that we can't use uh, for our technology. For instance, if the membranes aren't in the exact same spot in that uh, membrane module it, itself, um, we can't use our technology. So membranes that have uh, the membranes in the same spot, like Burkhoff, like Memos, those are the ones that we can actually use our technology on. That limits us for some of the suppliers. And with our technology, it's not a stock membrane that we're buying. It's a specialty membrane. Um, so if, if, say, if somebody wanted to kind of figure out what we're doing and do everything like that, you know, we have our patents. I'm sure eventually other technologies will, will come along that are mimicking it or and are copying it. Um, but in the five years that we've been around, uh, we haven't seen any yet. 
Yeah. I'm just thinking it out loud. If if I take the the application where I mean uh, where water is mixed with solvents, pharma, etc. Um, does do you see your solution can bring values to those applications? For our second configuration for the solvent, uh, for the solvent extraction method, we use a much larger membrane. So we're we're talking about uh, a three-inch monolithic uh, membrane. Mm -hmm. So when we use this uh, configuration, it is more about the separation uh, than anything else. Because when we use these applications, it's it's not hundreds and thousands of cubes or even you know a hundred cubic meters an hour. It usually comes to you know one or two cubes an hour. So we end up using a lot less surface area and a lot less even less power. Um, but in these applications, we are concentrating specifically on the separation aspect. So it's very laminar flow, you know, very even flow throughout the membrane, um, where for a solvent extraction method, for some of the things that we've we've looked at, it's been, uh, uh, say, a, a heavier metal in a slurry, and you have uh, a solvent like a clean kerosene. So when you first put these two liquids in together and you spin them around, your metal your metal slurry will go to the the bottom, and your solvent will be on top. Once that solvent soaks up that selective metal that solvent is, is now heavier and will move to the bottom, right? When that happens within your membrane, you can extract that solvent with the metal out of your membrane and introduce new solvent to that metal slurry. And you can do it continuously to get a very purified, high quality um, product that is very easy now to uh, evaporate that solvent off and get your pure metal. So that's the one, the explanation of the one application for solvent extraction that it looks to be extremely promising for us. And you already tested this concept, you already? This one on, yes, very specific. We haven't done the industrial application, like the full-blown industrial, mm -hmm. um, but we hope to have a pilot, a small pilot running um, this October. Yeah. So Peter, I mean, you, you are getting right now to the water industry and then building your products, bringing to the markets. And then to me, the concept itself sounds clear, has potential values um, in the water industry. But I mean, what do you think, what is the reasons, what are the reasons that um, let's say those big OEMs or um, component suppliers, they didn't move to this direction so far. Did, are, not, are they not aware of this concept or? I think we've been, we've been very limited uh, on kind of this concept from kind of getting out there in Canada. We didn't have funding uh, for the first two years for the company and just had funding for the last three. So we've we've started uh, to get uptake from OEMs uh, especially in our geographic region but because right now as a startup we're we're providing wastewater as a service for a lot of our clients um, just to take the risk uh, away away from them so instead of offering our equipment to uh, an OEM supplier where they resell it and they may be saying okay this is this is a new technology. I'm not quite comfortable with it yet. We say, okay, fine. 
no worries. We'll, we'll show you our applications. And then when you feel comfortable with it, we, we can go through it. In the meantime, what we do is we're just selling directly to uh, clients uh, in service contracts. So if there's a dairy uh, manufacturer or a community with a lagoon, we'll just take our units that we've already built for testing purposes, clean up, uh, you know, 100,000 cubic meters in a lagoon and just charge them for, you know, cleaning up that 100,000 cubic meters on a lagoon and then take our unit back. And we might do that lagoon every single year where it's cheaper for that community to pay for a membrane system to come in to drain their lagoon than it is for a couple million dollars lagoon upgrade. Um, and uh, because it's a service model, if our system doesn't work or there's anything wrong with it, because the client is paying per cubic meter, it really takes away the risk from. And that's what we've done on the wastewater side of it as well. So instead of, uh, instead of for, for a dairy industry, if we have a high grease loading, we'll go in there, we'll build the system, we'll operate it, and just share in the savings uh, that, that the client would usually be paying the municipality, um, we just share in that combined. And that seems to be working really good in order to get uh, the direct clients to take up the technology. Soon as, uh, soon as the OEMs or word gets around that, you know, how well the system's working or they look at it and say, holy crap, okay, this, this really makes sense. Um, we, we've had more take up by OEMs, but right now, a lot of our sales has been directly to our clients. In uh, Canada right now? It, definitely in Canada, yes. Okay. And you're thinking to get outside Canada, US or Europe? Yeah. I mean, Canada's, Canada's such a small market um, compared to the States. I, I think, you know, just the amount of inquiries that we got from the states within the last year, and unfortunately we couldn't go anywhere with COVID. I think this year, or that later half of this year, next year will be an absolutely massive year for us. Um, now that the, the American market's kind of opened up for us again. Yeah, and there is no me too product in the U.S. I mean, there's no one that's doing the same thing that you are doing. Yes. As far as like, I know, there is no. Yeah, it's pretty unique because all these new things that we're doing, as far as direct cross flow filtration or and buoyancy-based membrane filtration are, are new concepts to the industry. So we really have a leg up on, um, you know, the companies that would want to try to copy us. And we're, we've partnered up with a lot of the tubular membrane manufacturers. So there's kind of no need to. Yeah. I mean, definitely if you, if you partner with Berghoff, that's, um, I mean, I had discussion with them. It's, it's, very interesting what they have done in terms of chemistry uh, for the tubular membrane. So it's, it's um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, we've, we've used, we've used or, or tested just about every tubular membrane that we can find out there. So it, it's very interesting who, um, you know, how we're going to continue to develop our product and, you know, what partners we're, we're going to align with as well. Right. So in your, let's say, R&D pipeline, are you, I mean, um, are you developing new technical features that you believe will add value to Swirltech's portfolio? Yeah, I'm, I'm always, I'm a big nerd. I'm not going to lie. I, I, know you mean I love, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I love the technical stuff. So 
if they don't rein me in, I would be living in our lab pretty much, playing music, drinking a beer, running experiments all the time. So um, right now we're concentrating on um, just getting getting our, our technology better. We just because we we were so good right off the bat, um, we didn't tweak. We didn't really go through the process of saying, okay, you know, it's it, it's it's good enough. But I'm I'm a bit of a perfectionist where it's like where I know that you know things can be improved or even if it's five or ten percent, uh, you know, normally in the industry, a uh, five or ten percent increase in our R and D is like a good day. But sometimes we do things differently. And it's like a, a 20% increase. So we are working on things and new configurations of how to use the, our technology or buoyancy base membrane filtration. And uh, I think for the, the swirl text separation cell, the, the smaller membranes that are, are geared towards more um, industrial applications, pharmaceutical applications, um th those ones are one of the things that i'm pretty passionate about and i think it has a, a big future in our industry as well super i mean uh thanks a lot peter and then my last question is it's a very interesting concept and um i think my last question the most of the time i ask to the the emerging technology in the water market which is what is your takeaway so far from starting a, a company in the water industry or in the water market let's see you know, what? as a newcomer, it's not easy. I know. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of funny because when I first started this, it was is crazy. Our, our first job was first job after seven months after applying for the patent was in uh, Antarctica in the Concordia Research Station, where what I, I used. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a little bit crazy, and all that. All that, uh, all those theories that I made way back when I was 27 uh, at the South Pole Station, I got to prove with the technology I just invented at the Concordia Research Station. So it, and I thought, honestly, as soon as I came back from Antarctica, I was going to be a millionaire. I thought, oh, I'm, this will be easy. <laughs> Gee whiz, not, not close. Everything in the water industry is, uh, is a grind, right? You're not just grinding to uh, you know, prove your technology, how it works, but it's a grind against the mentality. Uh, a lot of engineering companies, a lot of uh, people are just set in their ways because they view something, um, you know, they have the relationship and it works, right? So even if you're, you know, 100 or sometimes 200% increase in flux or, or just generally better, it's a matter of, you know, really kind of showing that this is a difference and making sure that the engineers know that they'd rather be using this product than competing against it, right? Uh, but for people who are looking to getting into the water industry, just, it, it's a grind. It's especially if you're starting off with yourself for the entrepreneurs, it's, the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like playing chicken with your life, right? Where you're, you, you see a big semi truck coming down the road, you, you know, it's come in and you're, you're trying to sacrifice everything you can out of your car before, you know, you think you're going to hit it and you just keep on doing that. You just, 
it's kind of a game of chicken where it's like, how far will you go till, till you kind of hit your dream? Like, how much are you willing to suffer? Um, Swirl Text was not an easy startup for me at all. I made some big mistakes to begin with, and it, it really devastated. Uh, it's devastated me. It devastated the business. And I think for anybody who's getting into the water industry, it's know what you're good at and concentrate on that. For me, I'm really good on the technical and the sales size and the rest of it. And the first thing that I did was to get a, a different CEO in. And that was probably one of the better moves that I made, even though I had, you know, management experience, I ran a company with 70 people before. When you're doing a startup like this, it's a different, it's a different game altogether. It's raising money, it's do, knowing your evaluations, knowing how to do that right, or having somebody uh, that you know and trust to, to do that right can make a difference between success or failure. Super. I mean, well summarized, Peter. Thank you very much. And I, I mean, I hundred percent agree with you. I also, I, I learned that also from uh, previous CEOs, which is they said you need to have someone who can speak the money, and then have, let's say, focus the first client, fo focus on solving its problem instead of solving so many applications at once. I, I know that this is what we're. <laughs> We're having problems with it. I just want to pick one application say, right, oil, yeah. and just do that, right? Um, but the problem is, we, you know, when you get so many inquiries for, you know, these applications and this applications, it we call it like the, the squirrel mobile because it's like, oh, we can do this, we can do that. I think especially when you're starting up a business, it's very good to be focused. Um, and when you're developing a technology, right? Start to develop with a particular application in mind. When I first started Swirltex, it was for oil water separation, and then it changed to wastewater soon as we figured out the buoyancy manipulation aspect of it. Um, if I would have picked one application to at the very beginning and say, okay, I'm doing produce water and or, um, you know, boiler blowdown or even if I did anything in the camp industry for my product, I probably would have been farther along than I was now just because I focused on getting data from one application and not, you know, dozens of applications on, on what the membrane can do. Good. I mean, there's so many things to discover, but the time is running. Thank you very much, <laughs> Peter. Would you like to share anything uh, before closing the episode? With no, the if anybody's interested in seeing exactly how that process works, feel free to go to our website at swirltext.com uh, uh, and have a look at a couple of the, the process videos. And then you'll actually see exactly, you know, how it works with the annular flow within the membranes as well. Thank you very much, Peter. My pleasure. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you too. Thank you. Thanks. Peter was very good. Perfect. And then, thank you. Uh, I, I, I usually...